Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. If you're here for the first time, my name is Brant. I serve as a pastor here at Fairview, and I'm so glad that you chose to worship with us, brave the rain on this Sunday morning. But we are continuing a sermon series called The Common Rule, and I'm thankful for Pastor John uh, preaching last Sunday. I have shared with you all uh, who have been here the last several weeks the J-curve. So remember the J-curve? Uh, there's this process Uh, along with the letter J or a candy cane, uh, of death that leads into resurrection. And I said that there's a faith J-curve where we trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus for us, uh, for salvation. But there is also a love J-curve where we follow this path in our own lives. And so there are ways that we die to ourselves so that others may receive that resurrection. Well, we have been the recipients of I love J-Curve. There was a couple who went to Fairview Church for really just a short amount of time, and they moved to Hawaii. Uh, The Lindens are their names, and they, when they left, said, hey, we would love for you guys to come visit us sometime. And we're like, yeah, you know, that'd be great. Well, they actually, uh, when they sold their house, uh, sent us some money for that. And then my dad, at the end of this crazy long year of cancer and all these things said, Hey, I would love to help, uh, make this trip a reality. And so we were the recipients of, of the J curve. We experienced the resurrection of a week in Hawaii. And so it was wonderful and so thankful, uh, for the opportunity that we had, uh, to do that. Never, never set out to do that, but thankful for it. Uh, and, and so I want to, just kind of let everybody know that the sermon series we're doing, the material we're covering, comes from this book, The Common Rule. Uh, the author's name is Justin Early. And this is an important book for me because when I was kind of in the middle of the, re- the really difficult season of 2020, I guess that would have been, uh, I, I didn't know what was going on with me, why I was losing all this weight, all these things were happening, and everything felt chaotic and out of control. And I read this book, and this was basically his same story. He was a missionary to China who felt called into law, so he went to Washington, D.C., got his law degree, was practicing law at a very prestigious firm, and yet in the midst of this, he went through this season of, of anxiety attacks and all of these things. Everything felt chaotic. And, and he uh, found a common rule, a common rule. And it's basically a, a system of, of habits and kind of a, a schedule, I guess you could say, that has been part of church history for thousands of years. <laughs> we have had uh, monastic uh, groups, but, but, but even in the church kind of at large, people have taken uh, a, con- a common rule. So St. Augustine had one, Benedict. Those are some of the most famous people who developed a common rule. Uh, but, but what Justin Early did was he took kind of from that heritage of church history 
and ad- adapted into his own. Now, the Latin word regula is where the word rule comes from. So this is not common rules. This is not a list of rules uh, for you to, to follow. Uh, you know, maybe you have those at home. Uh, these are the, the rules of the house. That's not what this is. Uh, the word regula is where we get our word ruler. And so you think about a ruler, what is it? Well, it's this piece of wood that we measure things by. It is also the word that was used for a trellis. So are there any gardeners in the house this morning? Okay. Anybody who grows vines, right? So if you are growing vines, when you want to grow them well, what do you have to have? Well, you have a trellis and I have a a picture here. So on the right, this is a jasmine plant, jasmine flower. And so in order for this plant to grow, it needs this trellis. It'll grow really fast. They grow three to six feet a year. But very quickly, it'll outgrow this small trellis. And you see uh, on the left there, the full uh, height of this plant after a couple years. But there is a trellis behind all that. And so in, in order for the jasmine plant to grow and be the healthy, flowering source of beauty uh, that it is, it needs a trellis. It needs a structure. Now, it will grow without it. How will it grow? To the side, all over everything. It'll absorb other plants. It'll actually kill other plants if you have them in your garden. And, and this is kind of how we are. And we, we see that the Bible tells us that God originally designed everything good, everything to work perfectly and in order as, as well as humanity. And yet because of the fall, because of falling into sin and the way that we receive this fallen human nature, we naturally grow like this plant to the side and we are destructive to ourselves and others, right? This is naturally how things go. And so we're, we're constantly in this process. And so we, like the vine, uh, need, we need a structure, right? We need a, a trellis. We need something that enables us to grow into the healthy people that God designed us to be. Now, this is where we find the common rule that Justin Early put together. And, and it's, uh, I think we have an image here. It is four daily habits and four weekly habits that he had adopted. And I, when I read this book, said, I'm going to trust this guy and his experience. And I'm just going to adapt this. So I just kind of took this thing wholesale and, and built this, this infrastructure but I think it's important before you, we look at all these things, all of these daily and weekly habits, and I think last week you got a handout with all of this on it. I think it's important to understand what the purpose of this is. The purpose of this trellis, if you will, this common rule, is to grow a life of love for God and for others. So when Jesus was asked, Out of all of these commands, what are the most important? What did he say? To summarize his words, he said, love God, right? And love who? Your neighbor as yourself. All right, so love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Augustine, when he built his common rule, right, his trellis, if you will, his structure of habits and the schedule, he says, before all things, most dear brothers, we must love God and after him, our neighbor, for these are the principal commands which have been given to us. So the point of this is not to feel better about yourself, right? The point of this, just like everything else, is to become a person who reflects the call of Jesus to love God and, and love others. And, and this rule or this set of habits is something that you commit to in order to accomplish that goal. And specifically, we're going to look today at the elements of the common rule that deal with time, deal with time. So last week, Pastor John looked at the elements of the common rule that deal with relationships. And I'm so thankful, uh, Pastor John and Amber, their family, they they represent that well. They're very relationally invested and generous, and, and they've cultivated these uh, habits in their own lives. I'm thankful for that. So if you missed that, check that out. But this week, we're looking specifically at these habits uh, as they pertain to our time. And the text we're going to look at for this is Ephesians 5, uh, verses 15 through 17. So I would ask if you would stand with me in honor of reading God's word, and I would invite you to recite this text out loud with me as well. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Uh, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come now, that you would take these words of truth that you've given us in your scriptures that you would implant them in our hearts and in our lives, uh, that by the work of your spirit, they might bear fruit through us. Uh, Ultimately, that we would bring glory to Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. So the wording that Paul uses here with pay careful attention then to how you walk, this idea that he's getting across is the idea of accuracy and precision. Now, what do you do with accuracy and precision? Well, things that somehow involve danger to you or others, right? That's where you really need accuracy and precision. So as I was thinking about walking carefully with accuracy and precision, I was thinking about during the Christmas break, we hosted a a sleepover for uh, the cousins at our house and they slept in our bedroom. And so there were pallets and sleeping bags and, you know, children all around. When I woke up in the middle of the night and had to use the restroom, I had to walk through this monkey pile. And I did that carefully and with precision (laughs) because you don't want to step on somebody's head. You also really don't want to wake everybody up. So, you know, you're doing that. And I thought about that. So, So I was being very intentional about every step I took, you know, in the dark. And, and I think that's this, this concept. There's this caution to how we walk, which in the scriptures always refers to how we live. The way that we're living, the lifestyle that we have, that we approach it carefully, cautiously, meticulously even. And, and what it is that we're called to do is to not be like unwise people, but as wise. And again, this is wisdom is not knowledge or smarts. Wisdom 
is specifically tied to the application of knowledge into our lives. So a wise person is someone who understands how the world works, how God's designed us and the world around us, and lives accordingly, right? Lives accordingly uh, to God's design. And, and the wisdom is expressed through making the most of the time. That's how we have it translated in, in the Christian Standard Bible. The actual word here, uh, exaggerizo, <laughs> is redeem or reclaim. So what does it mean to redeem or reclaim? Well, the way, this is a, a term that would have been used uh, when you would have had kind of this market and you would buy something back that had been not belonging to you, but you, you purchased it back to utilize uh, for your purposes. And so I thought about a pawn shop. I don't know if anybody's pawned anything off before, but sometimes people will pawn things off and get cash but then eventually they want to go buy the thing back, right? To utilize it again. So that's the only way I could kind of put this into our context. Obviously, this was, this was often used in kind of the slave market context. So redeeming, buying back, reclaiming the time so that you can use it for your purposes, for, for ultimately for God's will, he says. Um, and, and so we have to treat this time cautiously, The time that we have, right, is a precious commodity. The time that you have in the days, in the weeks, in the months, in the years is something that is is to be reclaimed and used intentionally for the purposes of God. And, And the reason why it's so critical that we do this, he says, is because the days are what? The days are evil, right? So... Paul has been outlining this explanation of how the world works throughout Ephesians. We looked at Ephesians a while back. And he's talked about the fact that the world is under the influence of the ruler of the power of the air. He says, the spirit at work in the disobedient. We all lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. So there's this unholy spirit, is kind of how I described it, that's at work in the world. And, and the natural course of humanity is to just follow our appetites, follow our desires, follow our kind of random thoughts and inclinations. And, and yet when we do that, it leads, Paul says, to evil. It's part of this overall system of evil. And, and this is why we can't just go with the flow. And I was thinking about this and I was sledding two days ago now with my kids and this kind of popped into my mind. So when we were sledding, my in-laws have a great sledding hill near their house. And so we got there. Anybody go sledding? All right. A few, a few, uh, sledders here. Um, a lot of you guys just missed out, man. We don't get that much snow often. So there are people who went to the sledding hill before us. And so there are these, these grooves, right? These pathways, that have already been formed. Now, those are the good paths to follow, right? Because you don't want just the snow, the powdery snow. You want what? You want ice, right? Because the goal of sledding is to go fast, right? And, and so you follow these grooves in the snow that are already formed, and that's how you, you, know, you go fast. And, and I was thinking about this, and, and I thought, you know, if we just kind of go with the flow in our normal lives, in this world, 
with the reality of how things are working, we will naturally follow the paths that are already formed, right? The way of life, the American rule of life, if you will. We'll just kind of adapt the habits and the routines and the schedules and the priorities that exist around us. And that will lead us where, so on this particular hill that we were sledding on, at the bottom of it is a brick wall, right? So you need to be careful, (laughs) right? Because my kids already see Dr. Let enough. We don't need to, you know, another trip. So, 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 but that's, I I thought, man, that's the visual is if we just kind of go with the flow of how things operate, the habits, the ways of life of the people around us, we will run down that path right into that brick wall, right? We will reap what we sow. We'll experience the destruction for ourselves, for others that, that come out of that, right? And, and so this is where I think it's important to understand that the habits that we have, the way that we live our life, the way of life that we develop is so crucial because it is easy for us to have knowledge or, or kind of the, the information of Christianity, of, of the scriptures, but to have a, a life, an actual set of habits and, and the repercussion of that, that are, that are just like everyone else. And the way I would describe it is, are there any like interior designers or like house decorator folks in here, people who love to do, okay, a couple, right? So when you decorate a house, uh, I could say that my house of my life is decorated Christianly, right? So I've decorated my house Christianly with the Christian artwork and, you know, whatever else. Just hang with me. But the architecture of my habits is just like the world's. That makes sense? So you have the artwork, the decor, the appearance, the beliefs even intellectually of, of the faith, and yet the architecture of your habits, the actual life, the way of life that you're cultivating is, is just like everyone else. What is the result going to be? Well, if anybody's built a house, got some house builders in the room. So you know how important that actual structural design is, the architecture, right? That's, that's what actually matters in the long run. And I think that's for us, we actually reap what we sow when it comes to our habits, right? And, and that's where often there's this disconnect. Uh, Justin Early in the book says, when your head goes one way, so what you know, and your habits go another, your heart always follows your habits, so your head goes this way, I kind of know these things, but your habits that you've cultivated that go this way, where does your heart go? Well, it always goes with your habits, right? That's how things actually play out. And, and so he says, so don't be foolish, right? Because, because foolish people, which he kind of says, hey, this is how the world operates. Just kind of follow these inclinations, these desires, just develop this kind of American rule of life. And it, and it causes um, envy, it causes, you know, depression, it causes, um, you know, addictions of all different kinds. So, so that's, that's kind of foolish to, to build on that architecture, if you will. But instead, understand what the Lord's will is. 
right? So, so the architecture is, is based on what is the Lord's will for your life. Well, First Thessalonians 4, 3, we read it as God's will that you should be sanctified. What does that mean? That's probably not a word that we throw around a whole lot. To be sanctified, right? Well, the way that kind of is in line with what I've been describing recently, uh, the, the, the C.S. Lewis quote that talks about, he basically says, the church exists to create little Christs, otherwise everybody's wasting their time, energy, and money, right? And I think that concept of, of a little Christ, of, of Christ-likeness, um, in, in Paul's language, in Ephesians, where our actual life matches up with who we are declared to be in Christ. Does that make sense? So that's, that's the goal, and, and that's God's will. And so how do we accomplish this? We redeem the time. We reclaim the time, and instead of just kind of letting it go naturally, kind of wherever it goes, uh, again, where the, the bing dings and rings lead us, <laughs> Right? We, we reclaim it intentionally. And, and this is, again, the habits of time. And I think it's important at the outset of this, we're going to look at some of these habits specifically, to hear this quote from, from Justin Early. He says, your habits will never change God's love for you, but God's love for you should change your habits. So, and again, this is the, the faith J-curve. God's love for us, God's acceptance of us is based on what Christ did for us rather than what we do. Does that make sense? This is the message of the gospel. And, and that has to be primary. And yet, God's love for us, which he gives us as a free gift through Christ, should change our habits. And, and when you look at Ephesians 2, Paul walks this out in, in a, a few, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, where he, where he says... It's by grace you're saved through faith, not through your works, not what you do, right? It's a gift of God. But then he, he goes on um, to explain that the outcome of that is that you would, God saved you for these good works, right? This life of good works that he's prepared for you. So you're saved by grace through faith, but this purpose is that you would accomplish these good works that God's prepared for you. Does that make sense? So... Your habits don't change God's love for you, but God's love for you, the grace he's given you, should change your habits the way you order your life. And, and this is where the daily habits come in, he, he, or the first daily habit. He says, scripture, and I changed the wording, scripture before screens is how I put it. He says, scripture before phones, either way. But what he says is the way you start your day has huge implications on everything else throughout your day. And you can basically choose the lens through which you're going to look at your day. So when you begin your day looking at the lens of the news, how's that go? Right? You see the world immediately through the lens because if it bleeds, it leads, right? So people publish terrible things. That's what gets attention. And so that will set you on that course. If if you begin your day with all of the urgent emails and notifications that you have right off the bat, you are immediately pulled into all of this that you have to, to do. And there's a, there's a way in which that is tied to your identity. My identity is found in 
you know, pleasing people or accomplishing these things or, you know, people liking my social media posts or whatever. There's a, there's a way in which there's a, a lens that you will walk through your day with. My identity is found in what I do or in what other people think of me. Does this make sense? So you choose your lens. Am I going to choose the lens of screen or scripture to begin my day? And I think that's, that's hugely impactful. Uh, and and that's, that's the daily habit. The weekly habit is Sabbath is the first one. Now, I spent a whole lot of time talking about Sabbath when we were moving through Genesis, so I won't go on long. But I, I will say we see from the very beginning God designed this seven-day structure. And on the seventh day, God rested. And this is built in the framework of reality. And it's fascinating. We still follow that seven-day schedule, right? And there is a, a way in which our taking this day, and, and does having a day of rest mean you just like don't get out of your pajamas and stay in bed, right? No, we know that. The concept was you're, you're taking a day away from your job job and you are focusing on worshiping God, being in community with others, right? The, the way that God's designed us to live. And so this is where, I mean, you're here. Like this is why we have this routine of, of we're acknowledging our worship of God and the importance of the community in which he's put us. And, and, and there is this acknowledgement, and this was something I talked about in the garden them coming back on the Sabbath and having this, this rhythm of, of worship of God was an acknowledgement that life itself comes only from God, right? So all of these other things that seem important, they are not sources of life, right? They may be sources of, you know, nutrition or enjoyment or whatever it else it is, but but life itself comes from God. And we need to be reminded of this, right? Everything else could go away. If, if, if God goes away, we're done. <laughs> right? And so we're, we're acknowledging this in, in this day, but we're also acknowledging that we trust God's design for us, uh, that, that he has, has called us uh, to this weekly practice. The second weekly habit is to curate media. Now he, in his book says, to four hours. And let me kind of zoom back because I'm not gonna throw a number at you, right? Uh, because I think this is something we need to process. But I will say this. So the screen, your phone, or you know, television screen, is something that has direct impact on your soul. And I thought about this when I was in the hospital. So Jill would not let me have my phone while I was on ketamine. And, and that was wise. Because I was loopy, right? And, and so she wouldn't let me have my phone. And I, in whatever mental state I was, it was blissful. Uh, but I made this, by the way, everything is, is brilliant in that state. That's a really good idea. Anyway, uh, but that connection got made in my brain between my phone and that IV that I was hooked up to. And, and that IV is not evil in any way, but that IV gives access to my veins and what I allow into my bloodstream has massive effects. And it could be really problematic, right? In many ways. 
And, and I think there's a, a connection between the IV and, and the phone or the screen in that we are opening ourselves up to, to what is there to, to affect our minds, our bodies, our habits, you know, our, literally they show this, your, your phone, does anybody ever have the phantom buzz where you think your phone's vibrating, right? The reason is because your phone has been mapped into your neural network and literally it's wanting that your body's wanting the dopamine, just like a cigarette, right? So there's this like, literally that's in your brain, (laughs) You're a cyborg. And that is a reality of, of how these things play out. And I think if, if we live in, in a way that we're exposing ourselves just kind of to whatever comes, and I think this is the stories that we watch, right? The content we take in, as, as well as, again, just the bings, dings, rings, and things uh, of, of notifications kind of always coming at us, then, then we will experience the results of that. The architecture of our life will be built on that. Does that make sense? And, and that will have huge implications on our life. And so here's where, and, and the band's going to come up, but here's where I, I want us to realize that the story that you live in has massive implications on every aspect of your life because we are story-formed people. There is a story that will dictate how you live, how you see yourself, how you see others, how you see the purpose of your life. And, and there are stories that would tell you that you're, again, your identity is wrapped up in your accomplishments. Uh, there are stories that would tell you the good life. And I think this is really important. What is the good life? The good life is wrapped up in this perfect romantic relationship that's gonna meet all of your existential needs. <laughs> like, like, you don't need God, you don't need people, you, know, you just need this one person, they're gonna complete you, right? And, and, and that view, and I'm, I'm not just picking on romantic comedies, all kinds of stories shape us, but we live in them, right? We don't just watch them, they literally pull us in. And, and so we need to be grounded in the story of the gospel. And this is, this is the J-curve of, of the story of God the God who is at the source of the universe is a, is, is a God of eternal self-giving love, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This is the ground of everything. And, and he expressed that love by coming to die for us. The highest possible power went to the lowest possible point. He was crucified as a criminal on a cross to bear the full weight of your sin Right, to pay the penalty for all of your failures, all of your sins. And the story doesn't end there. And, and Frederick Buechner says that it moves from tragedy to comedy because resurrection follows death. He comes out of the grave, right? Life conquers death. And, and there is this promise that if you trust in Christ, and, and put your faith in him that you will follow this same path. That what awaits you is not darkness and death, but resurrection life, right? This eternal reality of God's love and the removal of all of these struggles 
that we deal with, all of the, the implications of the brokenness of this world. And, and, that, and that J curve, that story of the gospel is, is essential. But so if we think about the, the, the vine that we looked at the beginning, right? We, we think about this flowering plant. The trellis is important because the trellis helps it grow up and these structures, these rules are important, right? To consider, and I would encourage you to consider this. What, what are you going to build your life on? What is going to be your, your rule of life at some level, especially when it comes to your time this week? So the trellis is important, but all of that comes after the root. The roots of that plant have to be in good, nutritious soil. And I love Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. He says, I pray that you would be rooted and grounded in love. And he goes on to say the love of Christ, which is too great for you to even comprehend that there is this love that you're and and security of God's love for you that you're rooted in and grounded in and 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 the story of the scriptures tell us that and, and tell you that you because you're created in the image of God are a person of infinite value and worth Right? That's not the message of the world, but this is the message of Scripture. You are a person of infinite value and worth. And you are a person who is worth taking care of and being taken care of. You are a person who is worth taking care of and being taken care of. And no matter what you are facing, or what you have done, there is incredible potential and purpose for your life. And, and this is where, as we close, I, I, I want for us to just, to just be rooted and grounded in this, to receive this, this love of God, his blessing, his purposes, his grace for us. The fact that the God of the universe, if we have trusted in Christ is for us in all situations and circumstances and so uh, the band's going to sing this song and I I just want to ask you to do something and I know this might be weird but I won't put you in a headlock so you don't have to do it if you don't want to but I'm going to ask you to just kind of put out your arms like this put out your hands just as an expression of receiving in this time Father we're thankful that you love us so much Jesus came and lived and died to pay for our sins, to free us from the power of sin, and that he rose from the dead to give us new and eternal life with you, a life of being filled with your spirit, secure and grounded in your love, and a life that leads towards resurrection. So may we receive what your spirit has for us this morning. All of the stories that our our phones and screens and the people around us, the world around us might tell us, would we put those stories behind the true story of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's in his name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.